Okay, this morning we are going to focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40. So I encourage you to take your Bible, your electronic devices, join me there. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 956. We're continuing our verse-by-verse exposition of this book of 1 Corinthians. And as we come to this passage this morning, I want you to know it's not a passage that I would randomly pick and say, hey, this is what I want to preach on. Uh, But it's in the Word of God, and as we're working through 1 Corinthians, we're going to talk about Everything that is there. It's part of God's word. It is there for a reason. There are principles found in this passage that apply to us today. As we've studied the book of 1 Corinthians, we've noticed that the first six chapters were about the Apostle Paul dealing with problems he knew were present in the Corinthian church. Someone had told him about them, or he was aware of those issues. From chapter 7 on, he's dealing with specific questions that they have asked of him. Now, for us interpreting this portion of Scripture as we go through the rest of 1 Corinthians, keep in mind we have the answers, but we don't have the questions. Sometimes he'll, he'll tell us generally the topic that is being covered. As I uh, expressed before, it's like being in the room and hearing one side of a conversation. And so we need to be careful that we're not too dogmatic in places where we can't be dogmatic. But we also need to draw out the principles that are there. So the Apostle Paul is continuing on in this section of talking about the things that relate to marriage, to single people, and how all of that is to happen. But let's remember the hinge of the book that happens at the end of chapter 6, where we're given the big focus that in everything, what are we to do? Come on, we can be louder than that. What are we to do? Glorify God. You're going to get sick of hearing this, but we're going to talk about it again and again. What is the overriding principle for all of us? We're to glorify God in everything we do, in everything we say. We are to bring glory to his name. So with that as a background, let's jump in, beginning at verse 25. And the first part, I'm dividing the passage into two parts this morning. The first part, our focus is going to be on focus on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Follow along, beginning with verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. 
And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean. Brothers, for the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now may God bless the reading of his scripture. But what was that all about? Have you, have you read that and had that reaction? Uh, Butch, I just heard you read that. I studied that. What in the world is Paul talking about? And what in the world does he mean here? Well, let's see if we can't break it down. First of all, we have to deal with an issue in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed. Who's he talking to and what's this mean? Actually, the word that's translated betrothed here and throughout the passage is a word that means virgin and is normally used of a virgin young lady. So that basically what he's, who he's talking to here, there are two different opinions. There are those who say he's talking to and giving guidelines to the fathers who have daughters who are engaged to get married and he's giving them advice on what they should do. Then there's the other view that says, no, who he's talking to here are the young ladies and the single people that are within the church. And there's a divide among the commentators. I happen to lean toward the interpretation that he's talking to the young ladies who, are, who may be engaged or may not be engaged, and that he's also talking to all single people. But what you decide here throughout the passage is as to the group that Paul is talking to is going to affect how you understand the passage of Scripture. So let's, let's try to break it down. Now concerning the young ladies or the young single people, I have no command from the Lord, we're in verse 25, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now notice what Paul is saying there. He says, as it comes to the subjects and the questions that you are asking, there is no command from the Lord. Jesus didn't say, this is what you are to do, this is what you're not to do. But Paul says, I am giving my judgment. I am telling you what I think as one who is a trustworthy person. Paul is speaking from his experience here. He goes on, of course. I think that, verse 26, that in view of the present distress. Now, what's the present distress? I don't know. The passage doesn't tell us 
what the present distress is, except that Paul is saying, they've written to him about something, about a present distress, and he says, in light of the present distress. Now, commentators have two different opinions as to what he's talking about. There are those that will say that what Paul is referring to is the trouble that existed in the city of Corinth, that there was opposition to the gospel in Corinth, and that Christians were being persecuted, and that what Paul is saying, in light of the persecution that you're facing there in the city of Corinth. Some think that he's referring to distress or persecution that are coming upon Christians everywhere because Nero is on the throne in Rome. Nero is the emperor. And Nero was going to go after the Christians and in light of the persecution coming from Rome. But those are just ideas. Nobody can say for sure this is what Paul is talking about, except that we know there was something that was causing distress for the church there in Corinth. He goes on and says, It is good for a person to remain as he is. Now, the Apostle Paul is repeating again what we looked at last week, where three times in the passage, he very clearly said, remain in the state that you're in. Remain in the state that you're in. And now he's repeating it again. It is good for a person to remain as he is. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. If you're married, and now we're getting some general principles here that play off. If you're married, don't be looking for a way to get out of your marriage. If you're married, you should not be looking for a way to be set free. Are you free from a wife? Are you single? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Now notice what he's saying here. Remember in the context of what we've been talking about. To be married is good. God set up the institution of marriage. God, that was part of his plan. He said it is not good for man to be alone. Men here... Listen up. God's opinion is it's not good for us to be alone. That's why he made us a helpmate. You, if you're here and you're married, you need your wife. You need her. God gave her to you. Marriage is good. Singleness is also good. And to those who are single, God can give a gift of singleness to them. So the, you know, the, the application here is, uh, married folks, quit telling the singles that they need to go out and get married. Single folks, quit telling the married folks around here that their life would be much better if they just got rid of their spouse. Remain in the situation you are in. But then notice what Paul says. Here at the end of verse 28. Yet 
those who marry will have worldly trouble. If you get married, you will have trouble. The philosopher Socrates once said, by all means marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. Eddie Tanner is quoted as saying, marriage is an attempt to solve problems together which you didn't have when you were on your own. If you get married, you will have trouble. Now, some commentators have tried to say, well, this just applies to that area, right, or to that time in Corinth when they were facing the present distress. May I tell you, there are present distresses all the time. A couple comes to me for counseling, and they say, okay, we've got problems in our marriage. We've got trouble. I say, yes, you and every other couple in our church, you've got troubles that are in your marriage. If you get married, there is going to be trouble. And the word for trouble means to crush, to press together, to squash, to hem in, to compress, to squeeze. Uh, in turn, it it's refers not to minor inconveniences, but to real hardships. It's the pressing together as you would press grapes to get the juice out. Do you get the idea of what Paul's talking about here? Now, keep in mind, Paul's not against marriage. And I want you to keep that in mind as we work through this passage. He's not against marriage. God designed marriage. But also there has to be realistic expectations going into marriage and in marriage. You know, I sometimes wonder on a human level, as different as males are from females, what God was thinking when he put us together. But through marriage, there is much that is accomplished in our lives. And if you're married, you need your spouse. Even with the trouble, working through the trouble is part of God's plan for us. Right? He goes on. He says, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean. Brothers, the appointed time has grown very short. Now, what's he talking about there when he says the time has grown very short? I don't know for sure what he's talking about, except that the time has grown short. Some think he may be referring to the persecution, some think he may be referring to the return of the Lord. I don't think we can be dogmatic, but there is something going on that Paul says the time has grown short. So from now on, and here's this confusing part for us. Let those who have wives live as though they have none. Is Paul saying, men, you can disregard the fact that you're married now and just live as if you don't have a wife? And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. 
I think clearly what Paul is saying is that our focus is to be a servant to others and service to others. And he's going to deal some more in the passage with how this gets complicated within marriage and how it's harder for those who are married than those who are single to just have a sole focus of serving the Lord. But whatever state we are in, we are all to focus on the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Paul's not telling men that you are not to take care of your wife. He's not saying that there's not a place for mourning. There's not a place for buying, for doing business. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that in and through all of these things, our focus should still be on the Lord. Now, let me make a couple practical applications to this. What does it mean to have a focus on the Lord in the context of what Paul is talking about and for us today? I don't think that what he's saying is, I want all of you to spend more time in Bible study and prayer. Bible study is good. Prayer is good. And we should be doing both. But focusing on our Lord in light of where our culture is today and in light of the fact that we have people all around us who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and do not know that the message of Christ is the only way to heaven. That by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, by confessing your sins, by repenting from your sins and engaging with Christ, that that is the only way you can be saved. And it's our job to get that message out. In light of the fact that we have a culture and we have friends and family that if they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they are going to spend an eternity separated from God in suffering. In light of that, we need to focus on doing the Lord's work and focus on the Lord and taking the gospel to others. I'm going to give you three examples that happened this week from people in our church just as a way of encouragement to you and also as a way to saying to you, and I say this to myself as well, how we can do a better job in serving the Lord in this way. Example number one, had a young lady in our church who was talking to her tattoo artist. And in talking with the tattoo artist, the tattoo artist shared that she had a dream of helping women who are dealing with breast cancer. So the young lady in our church made an appointment with, the, with the, her tattoo artist to take her out for coffee. And she listened to her, and she prayed with her, and that opened the door for her to share the gospel with her. And it also opened the door for the lady from our church and her husband to get together with the tattoo artist 
and her significant other and to share the gospel. We have a, a man within our church that was getting his hair cut. And as he was getting his hair cut, he asked the lady who was cutting his, his hair, how's your day going? And she shared it was pretty rough. Her mother had died and she was struggling. And from that, he was able to share with her the struggles that he's going through in his own life and how he's found peace in those struggles because of his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as he was able to share the gospel with her. The third person in our uh, church who happened to be in uh, Panera and as he was there, uh, one of the workers from Panera came in and, and sat down at a table uh, next to his and let out a big sigh. And so he just said to him, having a hard day? And from that, she began to share her struggles there and what she was going through. And he was able to relate and, and share because he had, had worked in the food service before and they started sharing. But from that, she opened up and he was able to turn the conversation to the Lord and had an opportunity to share the gospel. So I think those are examples of where our focus should be on the Lord, and it's things I'm going to confess to you. I can do much better at personally. And I share these things not to, to put guilt on anyone, but to say we need to be looking for those opportunities and aware that all around us there are opportunities to share the gospel. And in light even of our present crisis in our world today, we need to seize those opportunities and share the gospel. I think there's another way of practical application for us as well. Is we need to be focused on serving God. If you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, question for you, what are you doing to serve the Lord? No, I'm not asking how many Bible studies you're in. Or how many prayer groups you're in. Sometimes we have people that judge their spirituality based on the number of Bible studies that they are in. And some people are in so many Bible studies that they tell us they don't have any time to serve. That shouldn't be. We need to study the scriptures. We need to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. But we also need to be serving. Our goal as a church is for every single member of this church to connect, to grow, and to serve. So what's your area of service? Where are you serving the Lord? I remember years ago, and some of you that are older will remember this, when churches used to have evangelistic crusades in their church, revival meetings. Sometimes they would go two weeks long every night. 
That's uncommon in our uh, culture today. But I remember an evangelist friend of mine, as someone was leaving the church, he said, of course, well, the, the guy told him, hey, what a wonderful message you preached. He says, well, thank you, but by the way, what are you doing to serve the Lord? The guy said, well, I used to do this, I used to do that, I used to do this. And the man said, what are you doing now? Serving the Lord. And so I ask you, what are you doing now to serve the Lord? There are all kinds of needs within this body. There are all kinds of things that, things that we would like to do better as a body that we need servants who are willing to say, yeah, I'm willing to be inconvenienced a little bit more. I'm willing to come a little bit earlier on Sunday morning so that I can serve and serve better in light of everything going on, way of application, I just say to you, we need to be praying also. Well, as we move on to the next part of the passage, I want to sum it up with Paul's statement that he wants us to be free from anxiety. Free from anxiety. Follow along, verses 32 to 40. I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has discerned this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Okay, Paul's desire is that we be free from anxiety. Actually, in this particular case, I think, again, that's a bad translation. Because this is not talking about the sin of anxiety. This is talking about cares. Paul wants us to be free from cares or concerns as we live to serve the Lord. And so what he's saying, follow what he says, because this is very difficult to interpret. What does Paul mean? So we need to, to look at it carefully. He says, so I want you to be free from anxiety, verse 32. 
The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the world, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. All right, the concerns that are there. If you are single, you can be focused and your only concern is on how to serve the Lord. But if you are married, husband, you need to be concerned about your wife. Now, let me give you an example. When Guys, think back to when you were bachelors. Or if you're a bachelor here, think about it. You wanted to go someplace, you just went, right? You wanted to do something, you could just do it. You wanted to spend some money, you could just go out and spend the money. Now, some of you are acting like that when you're married, and that's why you're running into trouble when you're married, because you have no concern for your wife. Paul is saying that in marriage, he's not saying marriage is bad, but the husband needs to be concerned about his wife, what she thinks, what she wants to do. How is this affecting her? It's different when you're married than when he goes on and he says in uh, the middle of verse 34, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Ladies, the same truth is true for you. You're single and adult. You can make your own decisions and you don't need to be worried about or concerned about how that is going to affect Someone that you may like or in a relationship with. You don't have to be as concerned about that as when you're married. When you're married, there is concern and there is the whole marriage relationship of submitting to your husband within the framework of marriage. So Paul is saying those concerns are real. And he says in verse 35, I does well, he's single, he does and it's all within the context of being able to focus on serving the Lord and bringing glory to God and being free from concerns in your marriage. He also then deals with another issue that's related that they had to have sent him a question on. And that is a wife who is married and her husband dies. Is she allowed to get remarried? And he says in verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. So let me make this clear, because this is an application that applies to everyone. If you are single, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are going to get married, or you are going to get remarried, that is only to be with someone who is also a believer. You should never willingly go into a relationship and marry someone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. So if you're dating someone now, who's not a follower of Christ, you need to break off that relationship right now and save yourself many troubles and problems for the future.
So God says, or Paul, Paul says here, if she wants to get remarried, she can. But in my opinion, I think she'll be happier if she just remains single rather than get married. So let's, let's sum this up. Paul's wish for us is to focus on the Lord and to be free from concern. To be free from anything that would keep us from serving the Lord. And all of that works together for the greater purpose, that overarching principle that Paul is talking about here through the book of 1 Corinthians, and that's what principle? Glorify God. Say it again. Glorify God. That needs, what, that needs to be the question we're asking. What will glorify God? What will help me better serve God? What will have it so in my life I can be concerned about him and that he is a priority in my life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for how your word deals with difficult issues and how it, it just comes down to the level that we're living in, Lord. And Father, help us that we might obey your word and to serve you so that we can glorify you. We pray in Jesus.